Welcome to Just the Tip, the podcast where we share tips and tricks to navigating life and relationships as a neurodivergent living in a typical world. Because sometimes all you need is just the tip. Welcome to the first episode of Just the Tip. My name is Shanna. I'm a certified hypnotherapist and life coach. And my co-host. Hi, I'm Sol. I'm a college professor and also a life coach. And um, today we want to talk about um, being a late diagnosed neurodivergent. Um, it seems like there's a lot of us, but that's probably just because we run in packs, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what is what even is a neurodivergent? Right, right. And I, what I most often see is, is broken up into sort of like four areas. Um, ADHD probably being the most common um, uh, OCD, uh, autism, and honestly, what is the fourth one? Maybe those are the three. Am I out of my mind? No, I, fourth one? I, I feel like there could be many different layers of everything. So they're right. all kind of... And there's a lot of cross-contamination. Yes, exactly. Well, I didn't realize that I was neurodivergent until I started watching TikTok as a 40-something-year-old woman. Um, <laughs> and you hear all these neuro-spicy, I'm neuro-spicy, I'm this, I'm that. But the one that really stood out to me was ADHD. So I have not been officially diagnosed, but I firmly believe that I am an ADHD person, a person with ADHD. I have doom piles all over the house. I procrastinate to the last second of everything. (laughs) And those are all common traits of someone with ADHD, which I have learned a lot about that from you. Yeah, I... um was diagnosed officially last summer, but I, this kind of started a, a few years ago. Um, I started, I, I read a lot and I started reading a book on um, autism and I found it really interesting. So I read another book on autism and I kind of kept going and somewhere in there, you know, I start seeing myself and I was like, huh, I wonder. So I kept reading and reading and I finally ran across this line and I wish I could remember who said it. It was, um, if you find yourself um, voraciously researching autism, wondering if you have it, welcome to the club. <laughs> and, and, and so I was, I was diagnosed autistic, and what really surprised me was also ADHD. Um, I didn't know that, but that, the comorbidity morbidity on that is something like 80% oh, wow. of autistics have ADHD. Yeah, something like really high like mm-hmm. that. Um, so um, they're clearly interrelated. And um, one, of the, one of the things that they do, I mean, a lot of the diagnosis is about pathologies and the weaknesses. And I think we're all kind of familiar with that. Um, But there are strengths too. And that's some of what we want to talk about Mm -hmm. too. Um, And to get an official ADHD diagnosis, they usually want there to be evidence that you were struggling with this when you were younger. Mm -hmm. So they either want to talk to like a parent or a teacher or uh, have your own sort of like self-study of yourself. Like, do you see signs from when, when you were younger, like school and all that? So I was thinking about that because growing up, like I never had an issue with school. I always, you know, I was, I was the good little girl. I was, you know, did all my homework. I was able to pay attention in class and do all that stuff. And I remember this was in the eighties. There was a student in one of my classes who I still remember his name. Joshua Pfeiffer was his name, um, is his name. And this was probably like fourth grade. And I remember my teacher telling the class one day when he wasn't there, like if, if Joshua gets up and walks around the room, like just ignore him. I'm pretty sure it was ADHD, but back then we didn't like, we didn't talk about it. So, you know, we, I didn't, I don't really know what it is, but then as I got older and I was in high school, I 
still was a good student and I didn't have trouble like focusing, but I would wait till the night before to do any assignment. You give me a 30 page paper to write a month mm -hmm. out, I'm not going to touch it until the day before. <laughs> and that was just my thing. Like I just procrastinate. That's my way. So then as I now, right. and if it... now as an adult, mm -hmm. when I look back, I'm like, oh, that's like the classic ADHD thing to do. <laughs> Right, right. And I, you know, and I have a theory about um, those of us who are ADHD later in life and school is, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I, I have not asked you this before. Mm -hmm. I'll bet you were a people, people pleaser. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yep. Yeah. 100%. And so I feel like that's, that's one of the big things here. Like ADHD is, um, it's a biological um, disorder. It can actually be caused, um, usually it's caused genetically. It can be caused by something like head trauma, believe it or not. Mm. Um, but it's, it happens in your brain, in your prefrontal cortex, where you don't get dopamine for doing tasks that you don't want to mm -hmm. do. So, um, so you look for it elsewhere. So, so here's my theory about that. I'm going to guess that when you were in elementary school, middle school, and um, you were doing really well, that you were getting dopamine from pleasing the teacher. You're so right. That there was praise. Yes. Yeah, and right. my mom, like, oh, you're such a good girl. Good job. Here's a gold right. star sticker. Yes. I was very motivated by right. that. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of external motivations, mm -hmm. and those only last so long, um, especially if you get to a teacher who does not notice you as mm. much um, or a teacher that you dislike, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're not trying to please them. And then that's when the struggle really comes in because now you don't get rewarded for the work you're doing. You don't feel good about yourself. You don't mm. get pleasure from it. And um, so procrastination is a way to, uh, I mean, for one thing, obviously, we know it puts it off. But the other thing is that the stress hormones then force you to do a lot of the work and your sort of like critically thinking self gets to um, be a, more of a passenger there. Um, so the stress does the work. I always tell my students that, that you know, it's morally neutral to procrastinate, but you just kind of have to realize that that you're letting those hormones do it. You're not going to learn as well, and uh, you, I guess, research has shown that you don't do as good of a job when you procrastinate. Well, but I don't know about that. You get the job done, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I, I love that because I'm the first person that told me that, and it made me feel so validated. Like, I'm not, I'm not lazy. I'm not a screw up. Like, it's just how my brain works, and. You're so right. Like, I feel like if I wait till the night before to do something, I, I'm so efficient at doing it versus, you know, planning it out a month ahead. Like a lot of teachers want you to do like, okay, write two pages tonight and then three pages tomorrow. Like that does not work for me mm -hmm. at all. I'm not going to touch it. Why, why right. would I bother? Yeah. And, um, and honestly, if it didn't work, you probably would have gone with a different strategy mm -hmm. eventually. Mm -hmm. You know, because yeah. that's something that I found in, in college. I would be way behind in my classes, and then it'd be the last couple of weeks, and I'd go, okay, God, now I have to do everything. And I, and I would do it, and I just remember thinking one time, you know, if I fail some of these classes, I cannot do it this way next semester. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I didn't. It worked out, and, uh, and there you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, developing a pattern. And, and, and the other thing is that, you know, ADHD does not at all impair your intelligence. Right. Um, it doesn't even interact in that part of your brain. Your information systems stay the same. And of course, intelligence is a folk term and I can ramble. Um, it's an autistic <laughs> trait. Um, but, 
but it doesn't interfere with that at all. So a lot of our intelligence can carry us and we may not get identified. Mm -hmm. And I, my theory is, and, and there's probably other like people who would back this up, that this is why hyperactivity is so closely associated is because it's easier to identify people mm -hmm. who have that element to them, especially in elementary yeah. school, right? Yep, that makes sense. That's what my son like has. That. And he, it's hard for him to sit still and stuff like, like he'll mm -hmm. wave his arms around. So yeah, you're right. It's easy to, you can see that. Right, right, and it's and it gets in the way. Mm -hmm. And um, I I once read that um, autism, especially, was first um, really studied because it was an impairment to um, the behaviors of uh, you know rich and upper middle class white boys, mm. which we were not used to seeing in a system designed to serve them. Yeah, and they had to find something wrong that was making them not be served. Interesting. Um, because these were supposed to be the cream of the cop. Interesting. Crop, you know? Okay, I want to talk about autism. I'm changing the subject because I okay. feel like ADHD is pretty well known, but I feel like autism still has some mm -hmm. like taboo around it. Like, I feel like uh, when people think of autistic, they think of like Rain Man, like the movie Rain Man or something, and it's not yeah. that at all. So can you maybe explain what that's like living with autism as an adult? Yeah. And, you know, one, one thing is, um, especially in the 90s, when there was a huge uptick in autism diagnoses and everybody was like, what's causing all this autism? Um, the truth of the matter is that it was Rain Man. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of medical professionals who did not know the term autism mm -hmm. until that movie came out. And it was such a mm -hmm. hit. And it really, um, basically, it just wasn't being looked for. Yeah. Um, they were looking for other things. And, and of course... Um, in the time of when uh, when the character from that movie would have been diagnosed, it was really for people who were especially having really trouble um, with verbal communication, mm -hmm. yeah. um, which is which characterizing some autism. And we, you know, it used to be split into the spheres of um, autism and Asperger's. Yeah. And um, the uh, medical community has decided to sort of leave behind the Asperger's designation because they felt it was sort of um, creating a two-tier sort of privilege system within mm. that one diagnosis, yeah. And so, um, yeah, basically autism is, um, it's really bottom-up processing instead of top-down. Mm -hmm. And a good way to explain that is that if a neurotypical person walks into a classroom, um, they see classroom, uh, the sort of classification of the, that goes along uh -huh. with that, and everything within that classroom is making a lot of sense within that framework. Mm -hmm. And for an autistic person, they would walk in and see a lot of open space, um, desks, chairs, uh, you know, a whiteboard, and all of these pieces would come together to create classroom. Okay. Um, that you see, yeah, see, so you see all the little elements first, and then have to sort of render what that mm. label is. Um, and I feel like a lot of my neurodivergent thinking is based around that, around um, really struggling with um, the sort of designation that things are given. And uh, because I feel like there's a suggested sort of meaning with a lot of like names and phrases mm -hmm. and ways that neurotypicals talk that it just kind of eludes me. Um, and uh, it's always been, you know, I've been off or been, a square peg, so to speak. And so a lot of it is this sort of like, like bottom up processing where we're, we're, um, uh, you know, we used to think that the brain was a 
something that was collecting information mm-hmm. from the world around yeah. us. And it, most of its job is it filters it out. Mm-hmm. So, so most of your calories in your brain are spent filtering out mm. all of your stimuli. There's so much going on. You know, there's so much information yeah. embedded in every little thing. And um, basically autism is having uh, that filter broken where um, too much information gets in mm-hmm. and uh, it then has to be sorted uh, much more manually oh, okay. instead of um, letting, letting these broad sort of shelves exist where you, where you put things. Um, you have to like sort them all out yourself um, without as much inherent meaning to the sort of classification. So that, that yeah, it does. And I'm thinking as you're talking about, that makes sense why I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, most autistic people have trouble with like, um, like social cues, facial expressions, because mm-hmm. your, your brain doesn't know where to put it in the whole scheme of right. everything. Right, right. So you, yeah, you have trouble with that kind of stuff because um, that's the type of sort of nonverbal communication uh, that is, um, pe- people feel like it should be inherently understood, mm-hmm. um, you know, m- much the way that we sort of collect language without really trying. Uh, but it's not so much the case, yeah, with the, the sort of nonverbal cues uh, for autistic people because it doesn't, um, it doesn't communicate in and of itself. That's why yeah, in, on that same token, why why we can get terribly literal with things, because um, we're looking at the very specific meanings of what somebody is saying, mm-hmm. and not the sort of neighborhood of intent that they're coming from when they say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, so like, sarcasm sense. would yeah. be really difficult for an autistic person to yeah. understand, probably. Yeah, classically it is. Um, I don't feel like I have trouble with that, but man, it could go over my head constantly at work and I might not know. <laughs> I, I would say that really uh, w- one of the, one of the things with getting diagnosed was, was sort of like um, having this weird sort of reconstruction of my professional work history and going, Oh shit, this was cringy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what made you think, what made you decide, Oh, maybe I should go look into this and get diagnosed. Was there something that happened or. Well, I mean, okay, yeah. I mean, besides that that line that I read and my like sort of, I guess sort of autistic curiosity for mm-hmm. things, um, I had a uh, I had a, an eating disorder. I had binge eating disorder, and um, I had read in a uh, psychology book that um, both binge eating disorder and anorexia are heavily associated with autism hmm. because it creates a sort of structure. Um, for the day it creates a way to sort of behave and it creates rituals mm. and um becomes something that where you can really uh rely on as a sort of backbone for how to behave um that puts a lot of rules on what you're doing really by yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so so both binge eating and anorexia are things that are that are inherently secret mm-hmm. they're in, inherently alone yeah. and um you uh it, it allows you to sort of pile all of your anxiety in one spot and then um to much more naturally mask in public because you know what you're hiding mm-hmm. you're hiding an eating mm-hmm. disorder you know and so you're acting like a person who doesn't have an eating disorder but really you're acting like a person who um you know uh, is behaving socially mm-hmm. um 
So it, it becomes really easy to sort of fall into that, that it's a, an aspect of masking, I suppose, and it's, you know, chicken and the egg. Um, but I finally addressed my eating disorder. You know, like I said, I was binge eating and I was, um, you know, really forming my days and my weeks around this sort of like schedule and, and squirreling away money and all kinds of just terribly embarrassing mm -hmm. stuff. I, I hate to mention um, that, because honestly, I was hiding it from myself mm -hmm. too. Um, and I think that's typical of a lot of uh, anorexics mm -hmm. that we're able to convince ourselves that we aren't mm -hmm. doing this or that this is the last yeah. time. I think that's common you know, with a lot of years. a lot of things. It's a normal person, normal human behavior to <laughs> hide things from ourselves. So. <laughs> right. If you can convince yourself, then then it's like you're not even lying. Yeah, exactly. And so and so when that went away, I found myself with a lot of anxiety and a lot of irrational um, feelings uh, that I didn't know I had there. You know, I got a therapist and I worked and I and I. Um, I got on a medication, which really helped too, uh, for a while. And, um, yeah, what came out of it was, um, different sort of stimuli that I needed, like rocking and swaying and, um, stuff like that. That's more typical. Uh, and, um, it, it really kind of let my head run away with itself a lot more. Um, but before I address this, I would say that I honestly did not know what the feeling of full was mm. like, um, and that's another thing that, you know, autistic, autistics might, might have trouble with is sensory issues like that um, bodily mm -hmm. cues, like when you're full or when you're hungry. Mm -hmm. And um, those things are su surprisingly pliable, too, once you, um, you know, can condition yourself to never be hungry or never be oh, full. Wow. Um, then, yeah. That's fascinating. Weird, yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about masking, and that's another term that a lot mm -hmm. of people probably here might not know exactly what that is. And I found that even for myself, having undiagnosed ADHD <laughs> um, is that I'm a teacher and for me to be on all day long, professional, you know, with in front of students all day long, by the end of the day and the end of the week, I would just be so drained. And I think it's because mm -hmm. I was masking all day long in front of you know, 30 people. So it's like, I'm putting all these pieces together now that I'm older, but um, yeah. Yeah. What is, yeah. can you explain masking a little bit or what you know about that? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, a little bit like, like what you're saying. Um, uh, I think even neurotypicals have this sort of term of like, they have to be on, you yeah. know, when they're uh, at yeah. work or whatever. Um, and so they're familiar with the fact that being on takes a certain amount of energy, but masking is like that, you know, sort of hyperactivated where, um, you're putting a lot of concentration on how you're behaving, how you're coming yeah. across, what other people are thinking of you, um, what exactly you're saying. And the funny thing is, that even with all that energy, you can still just fuck up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and miss it because you don't know how you're supposed to behave. But it's a sort of like, um, I guess you could imagine this in a really extreme way. Um, you might see uh, somebody who's a sociopath as a neurodivergent mm. and they have to act like they have feelings, they have to act like they care mm -hmm. about people and things and get emotional responses. And you can imagine that, you know, it would be really exhausting to act like That's that. That's a great example. Like I'm thinking of Dexter, the show where he's like <laughs> pretending to be a normal person. That's a perfect yeah. example of masking. Yeah. 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 And so I think that it, it's draining. Um, you're, you're constantly refereeing yourself. You have this, this uh, critic on your shoulder. Mm -hmm. Um, that's uh, always sort of refereeing what you're going to say, and you, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's tiring, 
um, because you're trying to fit yeah. in. Yeah, and people-pleasing. And all of us have tried to fit in. Yeah, uh-huh. people-pleasing. And then, okay, so get this, um, perfectionism. Yeah. Is that anything you've struggled with? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. People-pleasing, perfectionism, all that stuff. And I think as a neurodivergent yeah. person, we get into the cycle of, you know, wanting to, want, having an idea, wanting to, to do something about it, but then trying to make it perfect. It's not perfect. So now we don't do anything. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's messed yeah. up. Um, yeah, I've, I very intentionally sort of fight against perfectionism. Um, and that really comes from me just wanting to do a lot of different things. Um, you know, spreading myself really thin uh, can sort of be my excuse for not ever doing anything perfectly. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, for example, I, I used I used to be really into music and I learned about 20 different instruments and I was like, you know, intermediate band level on all of them. I wasn't really great at any of them um, because that would have taken a lot of focus and concentration mm-hmm. and practice where I liked the novelty of something new and, and whatnot. And so I kind of started hiding behind this, like, um, you know, that I'm a crusader for imperfectionism. I like that. Because then I don't ever have to work on anything. Yeah. Well, it's also like, yeah, it I mean, also gives you, know, you that I, dopamine hit too, when you like learn a new skill and then I don't really want to do anything with that anymore. I'm going to go find a dopamine hit somewhere else. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, learning a new skill is, um, yeah, the dopamine hit is re- very real there. Um, gosh, if you'll allow me this sort of a related aside, I suppose is um, when you're first learning something, that novelty is one of the big aspects of learning. Mm-hmm. And when you're first learning something, um, the, you, you know, we have all these potential synaptic connections in our brain. And um, what will happen is you're learning something new, like say juggling or an instrument, um, your uh, dopamine and serotonin will make connections between these neurons so that you learn it. You're able to perform it very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, uh, you, you can sort of absorb the skill and it feels really good. Yeah. Um, when the novelty wears off a few, t- a few days later or whatever, and the novelty wears off, you're like, damn it, why am I worse at this <laughs> than I was on day one? And, and it's because those chemicals aren't uh. flowing. So now what has to happen is you have to practice so much that you have to physically move your synapses closer mm. together. And that's where a lot of us, like, that's where we and, drop off. We're like, eh, I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, right. You don't want to actually yeah. put in that work and it will, you know, that the, um, you know, the back of the envelope thing is like the 10,000 hours to be fluent in something, which is, um, would assume that there's a sort of, you know, cardboard cutout way to do everything the same. But, um, yeah, but brain plasticity, which is so easy before you're five years old, gets harder and harder as an adult. Um, so you need more and more practice to really internalize learning something. And uh, we would rather rely on those chemicals. And then that's where the procrastination comes back in because cortisol can make those connections just as easily as dopamine. It's just not pleasant or good for you. So <laughs> Nothing fun is pleasant or good for you. <laughs> Isn't that the saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, there's probably some exceptions to that. God, I'm going to be thinking about that all day. <laughs> well, okay, so let's uh, uh, three tips for people. And yes. Yeah, we want to get yes, to just the just tip, the right? Um, so, I would say the first tip for everyone who thinks they might be neurodivergent or ADHD, autistic, whatever it is, we would say what you're doing now, probably listening to this podcast, would be to educate yourself, right? Right. 
Right. And there's like, you know, there's so much information out there. You said you learned from TikTok. Um, I uh, haven't spent that much time on TikTok, but I'm sure, you know, I've, I've heard that the hashtag actually autistic yeah. um, brings up an entire community of people who are supportive mm -hmm. and uh, knowledgeable. And um, you can learn a lot from, from even just stuff like that um, before you dig into the, the books. And stuff. I, I tend to go straight to the books because it's um, um, more of an alone thing, mm -hmm. I think, <laughs> for me. Yeah, TikTok is great, though. Yeah, so educating – yeah, that's yeah. what I've heard. Um, and, yeah, so educating yourself and really learning about it is – it's nice, especially if this is new to you because it's, it's a self-education. Mm -hmm. um, you get to see a lot of yourself in there. Um, which is either empowering or uh, terribly embarrassing. <laughs> Maybe um, both. Probably equal <laughs> yeah. parts. Maybe yeah. both. And and that really brings us to, to tip number two, which is accepting it. Yeah. Once you pass that em embarrassing stuff, <laughs> you know, like for me, I when I learned that my procrastination actually had a reason, I was like, oh wow, that's you know that is empowering because, like I said before, now I'm. I'm not just a lazy person, as my parents would say when I was in high school. You know, I'm, I feel validated. Mm -hmm. I feel like, wow, I can actually talk to other people about this. There's other people just like me. So accepting it is definitely, um, I would say, an important tip after educating yourself. Yeah. And it was really, it was really hard for me to accept it, honestly, because I didn't, I don't ever like to think that there's a diagnosis or label mm -hmm. that sort of describes me that feels like, like I've always felt, you know, maybe egotistically that I'm very unique mm -hmm. and individual. Right. And um, that, yeah. And then I resist these sorts of things. I mean, I didn't like find, reading in a textbook about binge eating disorder and going shit. Um, wow. There's a label for me. <laughs> and, and I didn't like it with, with autism either that I, I, I wanted to think that I was just happened to think differently and happened to be brilliant. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, uh, by definition of how we, we work with these terms, um, that's it's, it's descriptive of autism. Mm. Um, and I think it's also important to think of this stuff as descriptive and not prescriptive. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that I really like want to push on lots of different things, lots of different areas of our I lives. Like that. But that it's, yeah, that, you, you know, it doesn't mean that this is exactly how you're going to be all mm -hmm. the time. It doesn't mean that. If you if you you know vary from it that um, that you don't fall into it um, and uh, you know all of us have had the person say well you know all of us are a little ADHD and mm -hmm. all of us are a little mm -hmm. autistic and um, that generally comes from people who have no idea what right. they're talking about <laughs> um, yeah it, it's it, it would be like if somebody came up to me and said well I have pancreatic cancer and I said well all of us have <laughs> cancer cells and I have no yeah. idea um, what I'm talking right. about there you know okay so after we and then. And then we accept yeah, it. Then what? What would you say the third tip would be? The the third tip, and especially uh, for ADHD traits, um, medication is not yeah. bad. Um, as far as psychi psychiatric disorders go, um, ADHD is one of the easiest to address. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not necessarily curable, but the the traits can be addressed safely. Mm -hmm. um, 80% of the time and mitigate 80% of the problem. Wow. So it just gives you a little, yeah, that, that is yeah. huge. And it's, you know, medication is yeah. a lot of people are like, Oh, medication is bad, but it's, it's a support tool. It's just helping support your brain and your thinking. And um, how could that be bad? Right. 
Right, right. And it's like, you know, and people would will, will say that, you know, it's a gateway drug to cocaine and stuff like mm. that. And it's um, not been shown to be the case. Um, and all most of the rumors that you hear about how bad it is for you, again, are coming from people who have right. no idea. Yeah. And um, and there are people with ideas about it through research. And I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands of people take this medication mm-hmm. and uh, they're not all falling prey to cocaine or right. whatever, <laughs> dropping dead or whatever. Yeah. So it's really easy for us to get in this sort of like bubble where we feel like we're an expert because we feel a certain mm-hmm. way um, when mostly we just don't know about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so thank you very much for joining us on our very brief introduction to neurodivergence. Yes. And we're going to dive more deeply into lots of this. Yes. Yeah, we're very excited to start this podcast. We have so many things to share with you. And this is just sort of our little intro to all things neurodivergent. So we can't wait to share more with you. We'll see you next time. See you next time. time.